There's not really a coffee substitute. Like if John was supposed to like come visit me and John couldn't make it and, you know, someone else came and visited me, it would be weird if I referred to that person as a John substitute um, <laughs> rather than just referring to them by their name as they are. So, you know, I don't want to do that with plants either. I've been referring to all of my visitors since you left last left my house as a gym substitute. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. That's why you were calling me Jim when I visited. And Thomas Easley was tired of me calling him Jim every time we were hanging out. You were like, Jim, your beard's gotten so long. <laughs> you are listening to Herb Mentor Radio by Learning Herbs. I'm John Gallagher. And I'm Tara Ruth. Today, Jim McDonald returns to Herb Mentor Radio. Jim is a mostly self-taught herbalist from Southeast Michigan and is one of the herbal community's most beloved teachers. Jim blends traditional folk influences and mixes it up with a bit of 19th century eclectic and physiomedical vitalism. He teaches Foundational Herbcraft, a 10-part series on Herb Mentor, and also teaches many in-person and online classes and plant walks. You can read a ton of amazing articles and learn about everything Jim offers at herbcraft.org. Jim, welcome back. (laughs) Welcome. It's good to be here. It's been been a long time, both talking, you know, virtually and and being in person. I know. It used to be that every year, once or twice maybe, Mm -hmm. I would see you at an herb conference. You'd be doing an herb walk, teaching classes. We'd hang out. I'd pull my video camera out and record you. And and so many of those, of course, videos are there on Herb Mentor. But yeah, it's been it's been a really long time. It's it's almost as if something in the world has interrupted the last couple of years. Yeah, I wonder <laughs> what that was. But also, uh, Jim, like you know, it wasn't long before that the pandemic that you had a big health scare. You describe it as a hole opening up in the septum of your heart. And that led to a lot of blood without oxygen pumping around your body and your organs stopped working well. And many Herb Mentor members have reached out and thanked you for your generous work when we said, hey, we're going to be interviewing Jim. Do you have any questions? And many people, the top question was, Jim, tell us how you're doing, you know, Tell us about how it's been, your recovery. So I was just wondering, you know, if we just want to go right into that, because that's sort of like last where we left off, you know, like because mm-hmm. there was, I stopped podcasting for a while and then that happened, the pandemic happened and we're back. So it's catch everybody else, everybody up. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, you know, like mostly okay. I'm not all okay. I'm mostly okay. Um, yeah, it's like, I go back and think about it. There was like a, a, a more than phone book size, you know, like, pile of papers that was like the charts Mm. and everything so trying to go back and figure out exactly what happened is difficult and the different doctors had they they all told me different stuff about what happened but what seems pretty clear is that you have a septum separating your two ventricles and Mm. it's not supposed to have a hole in it and then a hole opened up in mine and so rather than blood going into my lungs and getting oxygen it just went up you know a lot of it went over to the other side and got pumped around my body and over the course of a few days I basically started dying, which, mm. I mean, everyone's going to do, but I, I recommend not rushing it. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, the whole experience was, you know, honestly, it, if you think it was pretty terrible, I, I'm right with you. It was, it was really pretty terrible. In terms of how I'm doing now, I mean, I can go out and, you know, bike six miles around the, the curvy, hilly, bumpy dirt roads, or I can, I can hike all day and do all of that. But 
you know, there's still some lingering stuff. I never quite got all of the feeling back into my my feet because there's some nerve damage from just being in the coma that they put me in mm. while they were keeping me alive. And that's a bummer. Like, you know, it's not totally numb, but it's not like it was before. And I kind of miss, you know, feeling my toes. I I sometimes have some mild aphasia and some, you know, glitchy cognitive processing, which is you know, not something that I'm very fond of. And so I, I may, you know, just heads up, I may say a wrong word here and there. I know that a couple of years ago, I really confused my students when they asked me if I could just address something. And I told them, you know, oh, don't worry, we'll get to that yesterday. Um, <laughs> at least that was a funny thing, right? You know, <laughs> it's like, okay, that was funny. And, you know, there's like no shortage of sort of like medical trauma going on. But Overall, all things considered, I think I'm I'm doing okay. I'm still walking around. I'm I'm able to keep teaching. I'm you know around for Stephanie and the kids and the dog and the cats and the ferrets. So yeah, life is life is pretty pretty good to still be in. Hmm. And have you found that this journey has been like that? You've been learning like how much like have herbs helped you a lot of people are like what herbs have you used but i mean i imagine this is a lot about just slow healing but in supporting the body and all like what's been most helpful to you well you know so because my you know particular episode of of nearly being on the other side of the ground uh, involved my heart it's been a lot of, you know, cardiovascular trophorestoratives. And so like Hawthorne, I'm sure everyone would guess, has been, you know, something that, that I've been on top of. Also Cactus grandiflorus or Selenoceres grandiflorus is the current name. There's another cardiovascular trophorestorative and, and stone root and linden. I like mistletoe. Mm. It's just basically things to, um, you know, more so than like medicinal stuff, just like nourishing tonics that really like help you know, heal tissue or improve functioning mm -hmm. and mostly focusing on that as well as some, you know, like, like kind of doubling down on some important nutrients that I was using before, but with, with more regularity of uh, omega-3 essential fatty acids, either in, in the way of good fish or um, fish oil, or if I was vegan, I could do algae oil, <laughs> vitamin D, uh, vitamin K2, CoQ10, really into uh, hmm. taurine lately. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, so, you know, just trying to make sure, I think that it's the foundation to like anything that any herbalist should be doing is you have to make sure that all of the nutritional bases are covered because they are the raw materials that your body uses to do all the stuff that it needs to do. And although I certainly love plants more than I love, you know, isolated taurine, mm -hmm. <laughs> You know, there's there's situations where you got to make sure that you're thinking that you have the nutrients before you use herbs that are sort of compensating for a lack of certain nutrients or maybe an increased need for certain nutrients while you're healing or recovering from something. That makes sense. Yeah. You mentioned mistletoe. I'm curious. I've never worked with mistletoe. How do you work with that plant? So mistletoe is just a super cool plant. I mean, there's so much, you know, storied history around it. Yeah. And um, I've just liked the plant because it's, you know, I guess it's a parasite. And, you know, if you're a tree that mistletoe is growing on, you might not think it's the greatest thing in the world. <laughs> but I've had, you know, just sort of like this attraction to it. It has a really unique and interesting flavor that I find sort of compelling. And there's a guy that runs a company called Galen's Way. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. 
Unfortunately, Galen's Way is a sort of a practitioner-only herb company, mm. mm-hmm. but it is a place that you can get fresh mistletoe extract because they're located in Northern California, which is the only place that European mistletoe is naturalized mm. in. So I feel really good about that because not that it doesn't work as a dried herb, but if you think about like, you know, with dried herbs, one of the questions is, how long has it been dried? We all know from like basil that if you have freshly dried basil, it's great. If you have like, you know, eight-year-old basil, it's maybe not so great. Um, <laughs> yeah. So the fact that he's able to collect that mistletoe from the area that they're around and extract it while it's still fresh is, is pretty cool. And, and, and all of their stuff is, is phenomenal. Very cool. Yeah, I, I grew up in Northern California and there is mistletoe all over my favorite parks. And I remember seeing it and then it's like, oh, I didn't realize that was a medicinal herb when I started getting into herbs. So very cool. I'm learning something new here. I've never used mistletoe before. Very cool. Yeah, I used to have a friend. I mean, I still have a friend. A friend that I have in the UK would occasionally send me mistletoe. <laughs> they would be like, here's mistletoe that was growing on apple. And here's mistletoe that was growing on oak. And here's mistletoe that was wow. growing on hawthorn. And I was oh like, my God. Mistle- mistletoe that was growing on hawthorn. That's, that's pretty awesome. No. So uh, I, that's the added benefit. If you can get it right from the person who collects it, you can get a sense of what yeah, it was Yeah, you know, on. Jim, this really, this gets into what I appreciate about you so much as an herbalist is that you look at things on that level. You know, it's like, whoa, a mistletoe that's growing on Hawthorne. And, you know, people might be wondering as they're, you know, starting or learning about herbs or on their herbal journey. It's just like, how, like, how did you go in that direction of herbalism? You know, when you're, when you're like, you know, just like, how does one get that so intimately um, connected that you're like, well, I want the one, the mistletoe growing on the hawthorn over the apple. (laughs) So when I was, I guess it would have been the mid nineties. I don't entirely know what year I think, like maybe like 94, 96 or one of those, probably, probably 94. I was in college I lived on this old overgrown farm with like 30 acres and my, my roommate left out a book on herbs and I started reading it. And at the same time that I started sort of reading through this book, I was passing by the Michigan State Botanical Gardens every day and I would see like, oh, there's the plant that grows next to the barn. There's the other plant that grows next to the barn. Oh, there's the plant that's growing in the woods. And there were <laughs> nice little signs that said what they were, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's like, oh, burdock, nettles. Is that, is that nettles for sure? Oh, it stung me. It must be nettles. And so the first thing that I started doing, I mean, really the first herbs that I was using were things that I picked out of the land that I was living on. And mm-hmm. at that time, not that herbalism was not popular, but it was certainly a lot less popular. Mm-hmm. And if you went into a health food store, you know, they, they had these nice little white boxes of Alvita tea that you could get. And they might have Herb Farm or like Nature's Answer, you know, tinctures or herbal extracts and, you know, a few other things. I know that traditional medicinals was around then, but they weren't like in all the grocery stores like they are now. So, but that idea of like going to a store and buying stuff out of a, a box or a, a bottle didn't appeal to me as much as like, oh, here's this plant that's like growing all over. I'm going to like dig it up and, you know, pour some boiling water on it and then drink it. I'm going to, I'm going to like collect a bunch of stuff and throw it in my bathtub and (laughs) then soak in the bathtub for a while. I'm going to, you know, like start making this and that. So really right from the get-go, I was interested in being engaged with the plants that were growing around me. And prior to, you know, prior to finding that 
book, I was not particularly like interested in health or wellness. I was interested in like being outside and nature Mm -hmm. and, you know, like spending the day hiking around the park. And it was more of an outgrowth out of that kind of connection to place than it was out of like, I'm going to use natural stuff because natural is better. It was more like, oh, wow, you know, this is something that connect me more to the place that, that I'm at. And although I do not live in a place where mistletoe is, what I've tried to do as often as possible, and I, I certainly can't do this with all the herbs I use, but what I try to do as often as possible is to have some kind of connection to stuff. Because I feel like, you know, sometimes people will say like, you know, buy local, but I think that buying local regionally is a great idea. But if you're getting stuff that grows outside of your region, buy things that you're connected to. So, you know, I can say like, oh, I get certain herbs from Andrea and Matthias at Healing Spirits Herb Farm, or I've gotten certain herbs from Sean Croak out in the Pacific Northwest or James Jungworth out in the Pacific Northwest. And like, I know those people, I've talked with them, I've interacted with them. And so I can feel really good that even if something isn't necessarily like geographically close to me mm-hmm. like i know like the people that it's coming from and i have a relationship with them and i have sort of like a trusted faith in their ethics and you know their medicine making and and that to me is maybe sometimes more important than just saying like i bought this within a you know a 25 mile radius of where i live yeah absolutely it makes me think about you talking about the beginning of your journey with the herbs, there were some herb mentor members who were asking if you had the opportunity to go back to this time when you were just getting into herbal medicine, like what bits of wisdom or tricks of the trade would you give as advice to this Mm. younger self who was getting outside and exploring with the nettles and all the herbs growing around you? I think that one of the things that I really strive to do now as much as I can and I recommend to the people, you know, who study with me is that we, and I say we as in a lot of the people, not everybody, because I know people come from different cultures and have different backgrounds and people listening to this may not have had this experience. But, you know, in, in the mainstream American society, North American society, we have this idea, maybe because of the way we've been educated to think like there is some kind of right thing. And if you study correctly, Mm -hmm. you will learn the right thing and not the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. And then once you know it, then you know you've learned something and it's something that you know. And I definitely, while I was learning, you know, I tried to learn things so I I would know things. And now, like, there's been so many times over the, you know, two plus decades that I've been doing this that there was something that I knew and then I learned something new and I had to like rethink it and let go of what I knew to open up to, you know, something different or a more nuanced or refined understanding of that. And so, you know, what I teach now is less about stuff that I, you know, quote unquote, know Mm -hmm. and more Mm -hmm. where I'm at in my wondering and exploration of plants. And I view that as like, I've gotten better at this, like, like no, you know, quote unquote, knowing less stuff and more open-endedly wondering about mm-hmm. things with a very open mind that is always ready to, to change my thinking mm-hmm. if, if the situation arises, I think is, is a way better way to approach plants right. because 
there's, I think a lot of people feel like, like it's a race or a contest mm. to, to know <laughs> the most stuff as fast as you can, right, right. you know? Mm-hmm. And there are things that I learned over the course of years and years and years that maybe someone could have taught me in like, well, I don't know. I could teach someone in, in like, you know, uh, 20 minutes that, you know, I could go back and say like, oh, I wasted all that time. But actually like the fact that I went on, on this path or this journey or this, you know, inquiry, this, this path of inquiry about something and learned it the way I did, you know, yeah. helped me. And I think that, that that's been useful to me to not think like, oh, my goal is that I want to waste as little time as possible and I want to know all the right stuff right <laughs> away. And maybe one of the ways that I see this happen a lot is when people are talking about medicine making mm-hmm. and they're like, mm-hmm. I want to figure out the best way to make this thing. Like, you know, <laughs> someone tell me what the best way to make this is. And what I always tell everyone, actually, I just taught an herbal medicine making class at the Great Lakes Foragers Gathering, which is really cool. And, you know, I said like, well, this is the way that I do it. But the reason I do it this way is because I've made tinctures or oils or salves or, you know, different kinds of preparations. I've made them in, you know, like four or five, 10, 12 different ways. And this is the way that I decided that I liked best. Mm. However, I know other people who make them different ways and they like that best, but it's not based on like, oh, I make it this way because this is the right way. It's like, mm-hmm. I make it this way and this is the way of all the ways that I tried that I like best and I find to be the most effective. And if someone else finds something else to be more effective, then that's awesome for them, but this is what I'm doing. And it's based on mm-hmm. experience. It's based on, you know, practice rather than sort of like, because this is the right way. And do you find your classes, like when you're teaching students, like the apprenticeship is, do you like to start with new class notes every year just because you're just like, well, this is what I think now. (laughs) I try to go through my class notes every year and Mm -hmm. fix stuff that, that either is wrong or I found better ways to understand. And then, okay, so certain people will understand this. I don't think that, that, that you will because you don't live in a place with really intense winters, right? <laughs> Last year, I went through and start to finish, reread all my class notes and, and, and fixed them. And although every year before that, or every year or two, I should say, you know, to be fair, there were some years that I slacked off, I would go through and I'd be like, oh, I need to fix this and I need to fix that. Where this relates to to winters and and roads is that in Michigan, we have these really terrible roads because we have winters that freeze everything. And, you know, every year people will come by and they'll patch all the potholes. And then after you patch all the potholes for a bunch of years, you end up with a really bumpy road, not because there's <laughs> potholes all over it, but because there's patch potholes all over it. And what I had to do last year was like, oh, I need to like redo the whole road and, and like, you know, in some cases really rewrite a lot of the class and change major sections of it so that it could be up to snuff with my teaching. And and also every once in a while, someone will contact me or I guess it's been a while since I have, you know, been spending physical time with a lot of people like at conference and stuff, but people will say like, oh, I learned from you that blah, 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 blah. And I was like, we didn't learn that from you. I don't think that. And then I'll go back and find, you know, on on my own website, a page that I haven't updated in a while that says something that I thought, but no longer Mm. think. 
you know? Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think that it's like, it's great that that's happening because to me, what would be, you know, much more tragic than, than realizing like, oh, my website has wrong stuff on it that I have to fix again would be like, wow, I wrote something like, you know, eight or 12 years ago and I haven't learned anything new to add or refine mm. to it. And mm. to me, that's one of the things that keeps my scatterbrain engaged with herbalism is that it's just infinitely expansive and there's so much stuff to learn and to learn better and to, to understand with more nuance. And so that that keeps me engaged. It keeps me from getting bored. Well, you know, it's sort of mm-hmm. why on Herb Mentor and, and some other learning herbs courses, but mainly Herb Mentor, I'd, I've never, you know, offered a certification in anything because I always feel like the certification is in knowing inside of you that, oh yeah, I'm never going to know everything there is to know and my knowledge is going to keep growing. And my curiosity and my questions are going to keep growing. And when you get to that point where you're just like, you know, you just feel great steeped in the not knowing (laughs) and that there's always more to learn, then you're like, I've made it. (laughs) I was, I was trying to, to get an herb from a a place, like a low dose botanical and, you know, not a lot, like it's nothing you go to the store and buy. And I, I contacted one of the places that someone told me stocked it. And, and they said like, well, you know, we need your license or your certification. And I'm like, well, there's no license or certification from for, for herbalists anywhere in the U.S. that's sort of like binding. And they said, well, we, we just need something that says that you have like completed mm-hmm. a course mm-hmm. of study. And I was like, well, I don't really have that, you know, but I said, you know, i I've taught for, you know, the American Herbalist Guild and the International Herb Symposium, and I've been running a school, and I've been in practice for this long, and they're like, no, no, none of that is good enough. None of that is good enough. (laughs) You have to show us that you completed some course of study. And I said, so wait, my students could get an account with you, but I can't get an account with you? (laughs) And they kind of grudgingly said like, well, yeah, you don't have the require, you don't meet the requirements to to be a practitioner. Don't you have a printer, Jim? You could just... The print out your I, own certificate. Yeah. It, it was an issue of it was an issue of me being idealistic and being like, you know what? I'll just like if you don't want to sell it to me, I'll just find somewhere else to get it from. And I eventually did. And that worked out okay. Actually, the person I eventually got it from was cooler and I knew them. So I mm-hmm. was able to make that connection rather than getting it through, you know, a wholesaler. <laughs> like mm-hmm. just people might wonder, like. Because I think it's like, how many, like of the medicines, herbal medicines that you use, when you say most of them are ones either you make yourself or you get through connections like that, like, mm-hmm. you know, like beat versus, you know, like, cause it's, it's so cool when you can like get things that no one else would think of that someone, you know, have made or, or that you've made. I think that like, if I had to guess, probably like 80 ish percent of the stuff that I use is stuff that. I have collected or gotten from people regionally. Mm. And then, you know, like maybe another, what's to say, how about this? Let's say 75%. Either I've collected or I've gotten from people regionally, like local herb farmers in the area within my bioregion. And then another 10% is maybe 10 to 15% is stuff I've gotten out of my region, but I have some kind of connection to the people I'm getting up to. 
And then the rest of it is like, you know, the commercial or trade. You know, I don't I don't have a way to get star anise from someone that I know. I don't have a way to, oh, mm. to get chocolate yeah. from someone that I know. You know, mm. and I'm not going to stop. I meet some people sometimes. They're like, I, I decided I'm not going to use any herbs that don't grow in my bioregion. I'm like, oh, chocolate, coffee. Like, <laughs> I'm, I like those enough, but I'm not going to stop using them. Exactly. Totally. <laughs> Someone once said to me, like, you can roast cleaver seeds and they have caffeine in them and they're related to coffee. They're like coffee. Oh, that sounds hard. And I'm like, cleaver seeds are small <laughs> and, and seasonal. That doesn't sound like... You know, I can, I can pull them off of my cat, but then I'm going to get cat hair and all my stuff. Mmm, delicious. It's not, a, it's not a bad idea and everyone should make cleaver seed coffee and try it out. But when you do that, you'll be like, wow, this might be hard to maintain throughout the year. Okay. Right. I've never made it. Is it, does it give you that stimulation? Uh, it's not the same. You know, it's, mm-hmm. I, I think it's not fair to call anything a coffee or a chocolate substitute. Like, I've always felt really bad for carob, that no one just thinks about carob as carob. They're like, carob is like, what will give you if for some reason you can't enjoy chocolate? Like, that's not really fair. Right, right. right. <laughs> or, or perhaps chicory with, with, with coffee or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Right. Also, there's just not, a, there's not really a coffee yeah. substitute. Like, like, if John was supposed to, like, come visit me and John couldn't make it and, you know, someone else came and visited me, it would be weird if I referred to that person as a John substitute <laughs> um, rather than just referring to them by their name as they are. So, you know, I don't want to do that with plants either. I've been referring to all of my visitors since you left last left my house as a gym substitute. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's yeah. why you were calling me Jim. And Thomas Easley was tired of me calling you Jim every time you were hanging out. You're like, Jim, your beard's gotten so long. <laughs> Hey, Tara. Hi, John. You know, one of my favorite parts about this part of the show here, it's like it's a little break for us and the guest can't follow us, can't follow us here. Oh, thank God. Yeah, I'm, oh, I'm, I'm still, still here. Oh, he's still here. You, Wait a minute. I didn't hang up. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I should have waited. You were going to say something about me. <laughs> this is where we talk about our mentor after hours. Still thinking that's a great idea. I know, I know. We think a first episode, maybe something on, you know, some brews that Jim makes that we might not be able to talk about on regular Herb Mentor. <laughs> and um, yeah, we, we've been talking about Herb Mentor after hours uh, for a while. But but actually, Jim, years ago, you came to my town here and we recorded a great course that's on Herb Mentor. It's 10 parts called Foundational Herbcraft. And why don't, you, why don't you tell everybody about it rather than me tell everybody since you made it? Well, yeah, so... I'm really into what herbalists call energetics. And depending on where you live, that can mean different things. It can mean like, ooh, the energy of the plan, it's spiritual like this, and that's awesome. But what I'm talking about is these patterns that present in people and in plants of, you know, like a, a person or their condition being hotter or colder, which means more overactive or less active or damper or drier, or there being tension and laxity within the systems. And how herbs that may be aromatic or astringent emulsant or stimulating or relaxing or bitter help to balance out those patterns. And I call it foundational herb craft because to me, learning these actions is not like beginner herbalism. It's foundational herbalism. It's everything builds up and off of that. So the most 
complicated and quote unquote advanced stuff we do often has its you know roots and foundation in these principles that that keep popping up and that underlie all of the approaches that we use when we're thinking about how to help people using plants. And this course is where I go into that and spend, you know, like, I don't know, roughly an hour talking about each topic Mm -hmm. um, so that we can have a a good understanding of something to come back to. And who doesn't want to hear about the Molsons for an hour? Yeah, I know I do. Because slime, slime is the herbalist superpower, right? Yes. And you even do some little (laughs) demo videos in my kitchen. It's very cool. Ten parts. And, um, you know, it's like it's something you can listen to. It's more podcasty style. But, Jim, you, know, you can also watch them on it because I actually recorded it. It's like last minute. We were just going to do audio. And I was like, I should get the video camera and record you talking, too. And that's what we did. And um, So, Tara, you know, how can folks find out about Urbenter and maybe get a little, you know, a little, maybe a discount? Oh, a little discount? Yeah, they can visit us at herbmentorradio.com. I think... Tara, could you work on security in these little commercials? We can't let be letting these 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 folks in so easily. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> sure thing, boss. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jim, you were talking a little bit ago about medicine making and how people often ask, like, what's the best way to make X, Y, or Z? And it makes me think about a question that we got from an Herb Mentor member. They're asking more of a general question, but they're wondering, like, what good tasting herbs you would recommend to use when making syrups or teas with very bitter and pungent roots or barks like valerian, cramp bark, and elecampane. So I know there's no best way, but in your opinion, what kind of other herbs would you recommend to use in those medicines? Well, let's think of the ones that were mentioned, and then I can try to maybe think of a couple others. So valerian is probably modified, but not made awesome by like anise or fennel. Mm. Um, so like one, one thing that I make is that if someone has a really terrible cough and because of that really terrible cough, they're not getting sleep. What I might do, even though I'm not generally a fan of trying to suppress cough, you know, because we want to mm-hmm. facilitate a lot of things. If, if someone can't sleep, then that is its own problem is I might make some wild cherry syrup with a, mm-hmm. a cold infusion or a cold water percolation of wild cherry bark and some honey, or if everything is great in the world, some maple sugar. Oof. And then into that, I will add too many squirts of valerian. And that <laughs> makes the wild oh. cherry syrup taste okay. worse. And then I will add a few squirts of anise, which makes the wild cherry syrup taste less worse. <laughs> um I, I can't say that it ends up being delicious, but the anise really does. It's like, as far as like things I know to take valerian out of just too stinky, mm-hmm. it's probably the, 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 my favorite thing to use for that. For cramp bark, like, I don't, I don't know that I really think that cramp bark is being awful tasting. Although mm-hmm. cramp bark does have valerianic acid in it, so it's got a little bit of stink. But I find it to be like pretty okay. Again, you could you could mix some anise into it if that works for you. I've often mixed like cramp bark together with angelica and find that that's pretty good, unless people don't like angelica because it's a little bit bitter too. Some people think it's really bitter, but of course we herbalists have tasted the the most bitter stuff. <laughs> and in comparison, angelica is not really bitter; it's just kind of bitter. Totally. Um, and Ella campaign, I remember 
one of my one of my old students, God, from so long ago, maybe from maybe from the first year I started teaching my Lindera course, they made a an L campaign tincture, and they said it kind of feels like I tinctured an incense stick, <laughs> you know, like like the way that things that smell good don't always taste good. Yeah, and and I don't I don't entirely know a good way to make L campaign not taste challenging, right? Well, we we in our house, the simple way that our mentors taught us was just honey. Just you know, take a half a jar of Ella Campaign or a quarter jar and just pour honey over it. And a few days later, you can eat the honey. And um, mm-hmm. and then if you want to chew on a little root, it's kind of like you know having a cough drop or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like a candied something. There's also a lot to be said for chasers. Like chasers aren't only for kids <laughs> or cocktails. <laughs> Right, chasers. You, know, you can be like, <laughs> I've never given like. Oh, I guess I have given my kids chasers for for tinct for tinctures. Oh, yeah. Thinking for laughter. there have been times when when I've my kids have been sick and I'm like, okay, I'm just I'm not going to tell you this isn't bad. This is like you're not going to like this at all. So I'm gonna you know it's just a little bit of, it's just a little bit of water. What you need to do is just like down this and immediately drink this. But you have to be mindful what your chaser is because some chasers make stuff taste worse. Like, like if I were to do Ella Campaign, I don't think I would go from Ella Campaign to like citrus or like orange juice or something. Oh, I think God. that would make the orange <laughs> juice taste really bad. Yeah, right? <laughs> um, maybe some kind of like berry juice or like cranberry with other kinds of berries in it would be better. Milk? But yeah, there are some things that don't mix well with citrus. It takes some, it takes some, you know, it's some, I do encourage everyone to sort of like sit with flavors, right? Because that doesn't mean punishing yourself with flavors. If, if you decide that like, wow, I really just don't like this. There's a couple options. One of the options might be, is this like, is, could there be another herb that could work better for me that I don't like detest, you know, because there are things that I don't like the flavor of. And so I don't use like... I know a lot of people love it, but I don't like cilantro at all. Oh, me neither. What? Oh, cilantro to be. Everyone says, oh, you think it tastes like soap? And I'm like, no, I, I think it tastes like like if your cat peed somewhere. Yes. That's what it smells like. If your cat <laughs> peed somewhere and someone's like, oh, the cat peed here. I'm going to spray some detox. Yeah. You know, some insect repellent on it. Kimberly and I. It's like oh really God. harsh and acrid what? to my nose and. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not a draw for me. And so I don't eat cilantro. There's other things, like, you know, there's, there's other plants that I like. I don't have to love all of them. Mm-hmm. Wild. I eat it as a salad oh. green because I like it and so people much. people stick it in everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, I used to teach out in Portland, and which is an interesting place because you go into all the restaurants and sometimes the, the wait staff will ask you if you have any, proactively, do you have any food allergies we should know about? And I would, I would mention cilantro and they're like, cilantro is a food allergy. And I was like, oh yeah, more and more people are actually allergic to cilantro and blah, blah, blah. And the, the, the host that I had, Chris Maka would be like, Jim, stop it. Don't, don't tell them that you're going to start like a whole thing here. And I'm like, yeah, I know I'm trying to do this. <laughs> like that sounds fun to me. As someone who did work at a restaurant in Portland, there are many cilantro allergies. <laughs> so It's worked, Jim. <laughs> well, well done. Good job. Uh-huh. Yeah, good. I'm, I'm glad that it caught on. Your campaign worked. <laughs> so I'm going to ask a question from Selena, who is asking, I'm wondering about the difference between calendula and plantain used externally. Both are similar, but still so different. What would be the main differences? And I know, Jim, that I have sat 
at plant walks in my life for many hours listening to you talk about plantain. So I know you can do that. But so, so yeah. Many hours just on planting. <laughs> well, so I guess energetically, a difference I would make is I would consider plantain is probably like kind of neutral to slightly cooling and like super green, right? And then calendula is like maybe a little bit warming. It's certainly not a hot herb, but I would say it's a, it's a more warming herb. So energetically, you know, they have that difference to them. And then for topical application, I guess it depends on what kind of topical application. Like if I was choosing something to chew up and apply as a poultice, I would want to chew up plantain. And I I don't know that I really want to chew up calendula. I don't think calendula tastes bad, but it's sticky. The flavor is not terrible, but I don't really love it. It's not just sort of like a neutral green flavor like a plantain is. And the petals are going to get stuck in my teeth and like stuck mm-hmm. on the back of my, my uvula. And so like in terms of like doing a poultice, I would, I would definitely prefer to use a plantain. If we're thinking about like adding things to a soak or infusing stuff in oil and using that oil to make salves, I think that both of them have a lot of overlapping qualities And I don't know that for topical use, the fact that one is more cooling and one is more warming is really necessarily as significant um, in terms of its use. I think that maybe like, let me think of something that will make some people a bit squeamish. Like if you add kind of like, can't wait, like, like, you know, you got this like itch, in your inguinal crease if you don't know where your inguinal crease is it's your crotch i i might actually prefer uh calendula there i think that calendula might be maybe a little bit more antifungal and and i i remember learning from matt wood many years ago that he always talked about calendula he would say it's her places where the sun doesn't shine so you have like like Hmm. you know some kind of like rash or eruption where the sun doesn't shine and he meant there um calendula was the thing that he would think of and not that you couldn't use plantain, but I would maybe go in that direction. Um, calendula is probably more lymphatically oriented than plantain. So if it was like a swollen gland issue, I would probably go with calendula for, for topical application. You know, For example, maybe someone has fibrocystic breasts and they know that they have fibrocystic breasts if they're ever a lump. And your breast tissue, you should definitely go get that checked out to be sure what you're dealing with. But if you know there's fibrocystic breast, I would I would probably choose calendula over plantain in that situation because of its lymphatic activity. Great, thank you. We have a few other questions too from some Ermentor members. Jaya and also Gail Brown were asking about Solomon seal. Mm. And Jaya was wondering about Solomon seal for folks with joint hypermobility issues. And Gail was wondering about Solomon seal for a prolapsed bladder. And I'm curious if you have any experience around Solomon seal with either of these health challenges and yeah, just any general info about Solomon seal. I think, I think you're, you were the first person, Jim, to give me a Solomon seal tincture. I was like, really? Oh yeah. I, mean, I think when, when I first, one of our earlier blocks, when I could hardly walk and my back was out, oh. I, was yeah, like, right. I was like, I was like dragging myself along with the camera, trying oh to keep it steady. <laughs> it was a spectacular remedy for a lot of joint issues and tight connective tissue issues or tight or loose connective issues. 
I initially learned about Solomon Seal from Matthew Wood, which more props to him. He was one of my early teachers, not in the way that like I studied formally with him, but I had met him maybe when I was three years into studying herbalism. I, I drove down mm-hmm. to the United Plant Savers Botanical Sanctuary and I met Matt and Rosemary Gladstar. And I kept in touch with both of them. And both of them were exceedingly kind and supportive to me. I mean, like over the years and still to this day, I, I really cherish for how wonderful they've been to, to me and the, the work that I do. Um, but Matt read about Solomon Seal in his book of wisdom. He kind of like expanded, I believe, on information from Gerard in his uh, herbal. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Gerard, of course, stole a lot of that from other people. It's a lot of plagiarism back then. But he he made use of that. And one of the things that he said about it was that Solomon Seal was good for connective tissues that were either too tight or too loose. And I, I learned that from him and I thought about it a long time. And there's a phrase that people in herbalism will learn at some point, maybe, that is that herb is amphoteric, A-M-P-H-O-R-E-T-I-C, amphoteric. And what that means is that it adjusts according to need. And there are herbs that are amphoteric, but I don't actually think that that's the best word to understand Solomon seal. Mm-hmm. I think that Solomon seal what it does is it restores um, moisture to connective tissues. And in doing that, it restores pliancy to those tissues so that if your tendons or ligaments or fascia or connective tissues are dried out and they're stretched, then they want to stay stretched and then loose. Or if they're dried out and tight, they want to stay tight and you know constricted. And that by restoring moisture to it, you restore their pliancy and it can go back to like the state that it wants to be. In. And so that's like the way that I've come to understand. It has a, a normalizing action, but it's not by adjusting it to what's needed. It's sort of by just restoring moisture and, and making the tissues pliant like they're supposed to be. So it's mm-hmm. not tightening or loosening, it's restoring normal function. In addition to that, there's probably other things that we could think about. I have, I guess, a a student and a friend and a client who has been using Solomon Seal, but also started using oak bark as sort of like an astringent to help to to tighten those tissues. I have no idea personally how astringents work on connective tissues, but I also don't know how astringents work on bladder tissues or upper respiratory tissues because the tannins don't actually get there, you know? Mm, so, mm-hmm. I don't know quite what's happening there, but it seems to be helping. Of course, like uh, pelvic floor issues is also something that if if people are using Solomon seal, that's a good idea, but doing pelvic floor strengthening exercises makes sense when we're getting into that idea of sort of like being a bladder tonic or helping with bladder, bladder prolapse. I have used... Solomon seal for both bladder and rectal prolapse, but I'll use that along with saying like, oh, you know, do pelvic floor strengthening exercises. And I'm also a huge fan of pelvic floor physical therapy, which is Mm -hmm. something that exists, but not a lot of people know about, but pretty much everyone that I know who's had it done said that helped a lot. So Solomon seal is certainly very useful for a lot of connective tissue issues and not just the structural stuff, but also 
the connective tissues that are supporting your organs and you know your I've, I've become over the last probably decade like a huge fashioner <laughs> where the more that I learn Fa- about fashion uh, or fascia fa- fashion I'm a huge fashion nerd you can tell that by I my, have a fascia show my outfits whenever I go places fascia Jim's Jim's fascia show yes <laughs> Well, you didn't think about like. So go the, ahead. The, I didn't want to interrupt. I just was like, <laughs> oh, that's okay. I, I'm I'm all into the puns, you know. Like, like I think about Gil Headley. He's like my fascia icon. <laughs> Tom Myers also. Um, both of them have really good information on fascia and structural integration and alignment and how fascia is really like it permeates and surrounds all of our muscular tissue and our organs and it's like our body is just like one big piece of fascia there's not separate pieces of fascia it's all connected and and so salmon seal you know when i first learned about it i learned about it for like tendons and ligaments but now i really think about it as being like affecting fascia tendons ligaments and other types of connective tissues it's mm-hmm. not really mm-hmm. so selective to just tendons and ligaments but we also want to think about you know the strengthening exercises and then potentially the body work that are affecting those tissues too because again, you know, like holistic doesn't just mean we're using natural stuff or using herbs. It means we're using a whole bunch of stuff together all at once. And that mm-hmm. includes like herbs and nutrition and body work and exercise. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, going back to the the EDS or like the the loose Ehlers, Danos, Ehlers. I never had to know how to quite what order the, the Ehlers, Ehlers, <laughs> Daniel Sandros, Danlos syndrome comes mm-hmm. in, but oh, right, right, the right. EDS. Mm-hmm. I've been making this joke for such a long time when I'm teaching energetics about, you know, like heat generally relaxes tissues and cold is generally tightening to tissues. And like, if you think about like, you know, if your muscles are all tight, you, you, you can use like a heating pad or something or hot rice pack. And if someone comes in, you know, after like shoveling the snowy driveway and they're all freezing cold and they sneak up behind you and they put your hands on your skin, you don't go, and relax you kind of go and you tighten up and and then the the joke was and that's why like there's hot stone massage and no one's really doing cold stone massage and then finally and this is also an example of like learning something new even if it means i have to give up one of my favorite jokes someone in this year's class is like oh wait no i do cold stone massage cold stone massage by tightening tissues is really good for hypermobility because of loose connective tissue and i was like well, you just destroyed my joke that I really like. That's gotten me laughs for like, you know, the last she 10 or plus years. <laughs> but I'm glad now that I can like, I know that, right? Because I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that. It hadn't been my experience. But a lot of people with those looser connective tissues do cold applications in order wow. to sort of like constrict those tissues and hold everything into place. Right, right. Did you find Solomon Seal helpful for you? Like, is that good helpful for heart muscles too? Like, like when you were trying. I don't know specifically that it helped. I had so you know I got less because of any of of the cardiovascular stuff, and more because I was like drugged into paralysis, and and my body didn't move for you know almost two months. And then by the end of that almost two months, because I had moved for two months, I couldn't move. There's a, been a lot of 
structural issues that I needed to address. And so one of the things that definitely happened is that I felt like all of my fashion connective tissues like tightened up. They, they dried up and tightened up. And so, yeah, I initially mm-hmm. used a lot of Salomon seal to sort of oh, like wow. be able to loosen stuff as I can. But additionally, did like different kinds of myofascial release. And then very just very recently, I, I finished the the 10 session rolfing series, which is uh, oh, cool. pretty yeah. spectacular, except they do stick your fingers into your nose and, you know, oh. like do work in there, which was weird. I found out I had a deviated septum that I never knew about. Wow. And oh. now, now I feel like I, I need to find a deviated septum support group, even though it's never caused <laughs> me any kind of troubles <laughs> or problems. So, um, you know, gosh, Jim, it's like there were, enough questions here, I think, for about 10 podcasts. So we might have to do a 10 podcast series with all of these questions. And I don't even know, like, I feel like if I ask any of these, we'll go another half hour, which probably wouldn't be such a bad thing. Um, <laughs> don't I have but, a history of making you go over your allotted time frame on these Yeah. Things? And it's not really an allotted time frame because we're just making it all up. Like no one's <laughs> telling us. We don't have like uh-huh. a broadcast network. But I guess this is your opportunity if you have anything you want to like, you know, say about so I don't know, Howie or Seven Song or Thomas or Rosalie. Like, this is your chance. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Boy. So, giving you a platform. I, I always think when 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 I'm going to extol one of the people that I have learned a lot from and yeah. who I love and admire mm, dearly. This is that time. That, that means I'm always leaving out other people, right? Mm, but if mm. I thought about, you know, the people you just mentioned, you know, and see, I well, the, seen these those. are people that we spent a lot of time around together at the, yeah. you know, at herb conferences and become friends um, with over the years. <laughs> one of the things that that I admire about all of them is that they they aren't just knowledgeable about herbs and plants and health and wellness. But they also sort of like model like mm-hmm. how to be a good herbalist. And mm-hmm. again, not just in terms of knowledge, but in terms of, you know, I've, I've always felt incredibly fortunate that the people I've mentioned, uh, Rosemary Gladstar and Matthew Wood. I could also add Christopher Headley into this mm-hmm. uh, group, an herbalist in London who passed away a few years ago. I've, I've had this really wonderful fortune of, having met people who when they met me or over the course of knowing me or to other people that I have seen them interact with their, their inspiration is to be like kind and supportive to those people be like, Oh wow. You know, you're into plants. Like that's really awesome. Like, you know, I, I would like to, to do things and make things available to you that supports your learning and supports your growing. And if you are someone who's, who's sort of choosing to go into this, it's more of like a, a, a calling or an avocation. I always struggle with the word profession, but you know, if this is what you're going to invest so much of your any energy into, like, you know, I or they want to be people who are generally, you know, supportive and encouraging. And mm-hmm. I would love to think that that's like, where everybody's coming from, but it's really not. Not everyone feels like that. You know, I know that some people have more of a 
competitive than a cooperative mindset when it comes to that. Mm-hmm. But but none of these people do. And I feel so grateful that, you know, when when I met people either who I was learning sort of like alongside of or that I was learning from and through because they'd just been doing it longer than me, that the general interaction, you know, that I had was one of like encouragement and support because that just makes more sense. You know, mm. that's just like mm-hmm. sort of like a, a a kinder way to be. And, you know, when, when I think about like my my sort of like life goals and things I strive for, you know, one of them is to sort of like continue to be open-minded with my learning and to sort of like interact with the world around me with a a state of wonder. And I I love the word wonder because it both means Mm. like to be in a state of inquiry and also in a state of awe, which is Mm. kind of like, that sounds so much better to me than knowing stuff. You know, kind of mm-hmm. knowing earlier, like inquiry yeah. and awe is, is like what I want to spend most of my time engaging with. But the other thing is like kindness. I mean, kindness is just huge to me. And when I think about the, the, the power of that and the potential of that to sort of like really like change lives and make amazing things happen, that's something that, that, I want to have because I've experienced people being, you know, so incredibly kind to me. And it's been so important in my life that why wouldn't I want to sort of like pass that on yeah. and also spend time with people who seem to to value that in, in the same way. Well, Jim, you're like also one of the biggest hearted and generous teachers and people that I know. I mean, we've, you know, been friends for 15 years at least because that's how long urban is and even a long time and really value your friendship and also seeing over the years you know how much you have given to the herbal community and why it's so you know such an honor and great to reconnect and 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 have you back and i feel like yeah i feel like we're um you know it's a it's a new era where i don't know tara like i just feel people really need all of us right now you know because all the stuff Mm -hmm. going on it's like the plants are are there for us and um to work with them for Absolutely. for um, for yeah for healing and i i just i'm so grateful jim that you're able you're you're back and you're here with us and you're teaching and yeah it, it certainly feels good to teach i think that there were okay so there's no getting around how hard the last you know couple of years or going on a few years with the, the pandemic has been. And I know that it's touched a lot of people in really tough ways. And I have a lot of empathy for that. For me personally, you know, like 2018 was harder because that's when I was dying. <laughs> mm. mm-hmm. But, you know, both after after that, like when I when I got home and, you know, again, during the pandemic, it was like, the time spent, the, you know, making the time to, to be outside in nature. It's like when when there's upheaval in your life and, and people's lives can have all different kinds of, you know, shades and flavors and degrees of upheaval. I don't know that that I've got ever better advice than like, see if you can take yourself to a place where you can walk into a natural area, you know, how, however big it is, however small it is, and sort of like, be there and, and look around and see like just the 
the, the magic that, that makes all of these plants grow and, and all of the, mm-hmm. the, the mushrooms grow and the mycelium that's connecting everything and the insects and the animals that are all like, you know, living in this, this profound interdependent harmony, you know, and that kind of goes back to this idea of like, even though a lot of people have been taught like, oh, you know, survival of the fittest, competition, natural selection and everything, you know, when I go outside, that's, I, there's some of that, but most of what I see is like cooperation and interdependence. And mm-hmm. that just is, it's reassuring to me when, when other things in, in my life or in the world at large seem so fraught. So my recommendation is, although I can always think of like, you know, good teas and syrups and tinctures and roots to chew on that you might, you know, use to help you address certain kinds of stresses or trials and tribulation in your life, you know, one of the most powerful things we can do is to go out and and be in nature and and realize that like, not only is there this thing that is cooperative and interdependent and awe-inspiring, but also that we are a part of that, that, you know, we're not separate. We might occasionally feel disconnected from it, but we're never separate from it. Absolutely. And Jim, this makes me think about as we talk about, you know, encouraging people to get more connected and just, you know, be with their surroundings and get more excited about the herbs. You have a lot of amazing online classes that you're teaching that can really, you know, foster and cultivate people's connections. And one of them looks really cool. It's called Foundations of Holistic Immunity, Herbal Strategies for Infectious Unpleasantries. And you even have a cool PDF ebook that I think would be really helpful for some folks who are taking Foundational Herb Craft, that course on Herb Mentor. So all of that's on herbcraft.org. Um, and I'm wondering too, are you back to teaching in person and do you have an apprenticeship? Oh yeah, I've got a course for my school. I just call it Lindera. Uh, Lindera is the the genus name for spice bush, which is one of my favorite teas to drink ever and, mm. and a beautiful plant. And I learned from Jody Noe. Uh, this was really the clincher, you know. Uh, I remember ages and ages and ages ago, it's in a, a pickup truck with Howie Brownstein and Stephen Yeager. And we were driving back from the Cascades where we've been teaching all week. And Stephen said something like, so like you have this course, which is kind of like your school, but it's not a school because you don't have a name. I was like, yeah, I haven't. <laughs> I hadn't thought of a name that I like yet. And he said, well, I mean, couldn't you just call it like the Great Lakes School of Herbal Medicine or something like that? And I was like, that's just too many words. I don't want to write that all the time. <laughs> Bad acronym. <laughs> I, I want to I like think of something that's like concise. It can just be one word and then people don't have to shorten it down. Because like people who study, you know, with, with Howie and at that time, Stephen, they wouldn't say, I studied at Columbine School of Botanical Medicine. They would just say Columbines. And so, like, why add all the other words that I then have to type out all the time? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I thought about things for a long time, and I came up with Lindera. There was a whole bunch of other ideas that I had that other people had already found. It's really hard to find a plant name that herbalists aren't already using. Nobody seemed to be using Lindera. I like the sound of it. It has, you know, like a good ring to it. And mm-hmm. then I learned from Jody Noe that it, in her tradition, I believe Cherokee tradition, that when you wanted to like encourage or acknowledge or start a friendship with people, you would give them spice bush. And I was oh. like, well, that's just, that just works for me. That was sort of like the the extra special clinching it. And yes, that's what we're going to do. So mm-hmm. I've been doing the Lindera course um, online, even in 2020, we just, we did the first, I think like 
two weekends we had to do online. And then after that, we were able to do the course in person outside. And so since then, I've been running the course and doing classes outside. It's become easier to do more classes. I don't think I've done any indoor classes since the pandemic started. It's just I, it's been more complicating, but yeah. we, we rented a, an open air pavilion at a state park to do the classroom days for the in-person classes. And then we spent, I guess the year before last year, recording all of the content as an online course. So basically Great. the same content in my in-person course is in the online course. And it's just presented a little bit differently, but both things are happening. And I'm, I'm really happy to be able to teach in front of people and see everyone's facial expressions. But I'm also very happy to be able to teach to people who it's just not practical right. for them to be able to, you know, drive out to Michigan once a month. Well, I was excited to see your online class offerings. I'm like, great. Mm -hmm. He's finally doing it. He's <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> most of the credit for that, although I do most of the talking, comes to my wife, Stephanie, who has been amazing at mm. figuring out all of the technical stuff mm -hmm. and also putting up with me when I'm trying to teach the material and I say something wrong and I get frustrated and swear. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. oh. it's like, I, I think one of the hard things about doing online stuff when, when, when people aren't necessarily like there with you is you say like, oh, wait, no, I don't like the way that I said this. I need to start over. And then I know that that John has some experience with me because we did the, the foundational craft course. <laughs> is that okay, where do you want to pick up? Like where's a natural pace to pick up? And as you may have be able to tell from just this, I, I kind of in a in a constant ramble of a run-on sentence with not really enough space between sentences to make a quick edit. That's I go right. way back and start over <laughs> and then I go way back and start over and then take it in a different direction and say something else. So she was able to, to navigate all that and put it together in a oh. way that worked and was patient with me most of the time. Mm. And yeah, it's, it's just been amazing because that would have been something that would have been really hard for me to figure out on mm -hmm. my own. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and everyone, you could, again, go to herbcraft.org. You can see all of Jim's. Yeah, he has a lot of articles, writings, connections to all the courses and everything he is up to. So, Jim McDonald, you'll be back because we have all these questions. And uh, it's been awesome to have you here today. And thanks so much for joining us. And yeah, like I said, You'll be back. Yes, thank <laughs> well, you. <laughs> it is always a pleasure, John and Tara. Herb Mentor Radio is written and produced by John Gallagher and Tara Ruth. Sound engineering by Zach Frank. Visit HerbMentorRadio.com to subscribe on your favorite podcast app and for information on how to be part of Herb Mentor, your home for herbal education. Herb Mentor Radio is a production of LearningHerbs.com, LLC, all rights reserved. Thank you so much for listening.